Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fight to Repair podcast. For those of you who are new, I'm Paul Roberts, publisher of the Fight to Repair newsletter and the host of this episode of Fight to Repair podcast. This week, we bring you an interview with Alexander Isaac, the founder of the Repair Academy, a Toulouse, France organization that specializes in cutting-edge repair training, including courses in micro-soldering that give trained repairers the ability to conduct discrete fixes to device motherboards and other components. Alexander is an entrepreneur, and in true Steve Jobs fashion, he started the Repair Academy out of his parents' garage as a university student in 2019. He's grown it into a profitable business that works with companies to refurbish discarded laptops, tablets, phones, and other devices, keeping them out of the landfill. I met up with Alexander on the sidelines of FixFest 2022, an annual gathering of repairers and right-to-repair advocates that took place in Brussels, Belgium, the end of last year. Alexander was there to do a presentation on the growing practice of parts pairing, in which device manufacturers use software locks to bind replaceable parts to specific devices. Parts pairing is a growing impediment to Alexander's work refurbishing devices, erecting hurdles to even simple repairs, such as replacing smartphone screens or damaged components on motherboards. In this conversation, Alexander and I talk about the Repair Academy and how parts pairing is eating away at the ability of independent repair shops to operate. We also talk about the bigger issues around sustainability and how major brands stand to benefit by selling their customers well-built, repairable, and enduring products rather than disposable tech that clogs up landfills and pollutes the environment. My name is Alexander Isaac. I'm 24. I'm the owner of the Repair Academy, and it was a training center and a factory to repair phones and tablets and computers. So talk about what Repair Factory does. So when a company every year leases, every two or three years, they lease 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 computers, smartphones, they change it. So they have to get all those computers somewhere. So either they can sell it directly to China or to somewhere in Europe for very cheap price. Some companies are worse. They just throw it away in the e-wastes, which is sad. As a real example, so. they will smash all the hard drives with a hammer because they don't want the data to be recovered. And then they put everything in the e-waste. And we're talking, you know, a thousand, two thousand computers perfectly working. So we were like, hey, what if we could make that e-waste income for that company? And we'll take care of the data, erase it, and make sure it's refurbished, repaired, and sold in France or in Europe. So you got started when you were a teenager just doing like repairs to phones and other devices and got into the business of training other people to do repair as well. Is that still part of what you do? Yeah. So the Repair Academy was founded in 2019 and I would only work on my school vacation. So that's about a, a week or two every three months. So I would like find clients and, and all that. And now we have a team of about four teachers that can go everywhere in the world as long as they speak French. I'm the only one that can speak <laughs> English right now. We're building new courses all the time because phones evolve, computers evolve. And so we have basic repair course, change a screen battery, motherboard repair course, like a level one, and we have a level two specialized on iPhone and a level three specialized on the newer iPhones that have two motherboards sandwiched together, which is hard to work on. 
And we're working right now as we speak on the MacBook training course mm -hmm. because those machines are great. We know how to repair them, but we don't have the expertise yet to teach anyone how to do it. We could teach people that are pretty skilled how to do it, but we know we have a lot of work. Very cool. And you were talking in your presentation yesterday about things like micro soldering, yeah. which you taught yourself how to do basically watching videos online. These devices are entirely repairable if you have the right skills and the right tools to do it. Exactly. And I'd say anyone can have the right skills because I started in a garage. I started micro soldering when I was maybe like 16 or 17. Not a clue, not a microscope. It was, I think it was like a $30 soldering iron, cheapest station ever, a magnifying glass. And it, you know, it wasn't working great, but I could do minor repairs uh -huh. and I got a microscope and it worked and nobody was there to teach me. So I'd say anyone that wants to learn how to repair stuff, they can, because there's a lot of stuff, free stuff in the internet, either as a personal challenge because, hey, repairing a motherboard is cool or because it's going to be my business or I need the money or whatever. Or I'll just go to someone and he can teach me everything he learned in those last 10 years and like a week or two. And then let's go straight to the point. I mean, your case in point, you taught yourself how to repair, you built a business, helped put yourself through university, yeah. and now you have a growing business post-graduation doing yeah. this. So one of the things you talked about in your presentation, I think is a topic that's getting a lot of attention now is the growing use of part serialization or part pairing by companies, Apple prominently, but not just Apple, as a way to bind a particular part to a particular piece of hardware. So a particular camera, let's say, to a particular phone or motherboard and how that complicates the work that you do in repair. Could you just talk a little bit about yeah. that? So serial serialization is actually a normal process, quality checking all that because you need to know, okay, the screen we built on that day, on that production line, it needs a serial number and we need to know if it has a problem like in 30 days. Right. So that's not an issue and it's actually good that they do it. This way we can have more reliable and more durable phones. What happened with Apple is when they build a phone in a factory, they're going to associate one motherboard with one camera, with one battery and one screen. And that's for life. That's the only issue. There's actually a solution in the Apple stores. If they change the screen, they can reprogram it, but nobody has access to that tool. So when we replace a screen or a battery, right now it's going to work, but we're going to get this message that's scary for the end user. If you're not a geek and you have this message saying, hey, you don't have a genuine battery, you yeah. should go to an Apple store. Yeah. What are you going to do? Freak out yeah. or be mad at the technician? So that's... Yeah really hard on the business and on the trustworthiness. People don't trust repair business after that. So we have to come up with hacking techniques. Yep. So how are we going to fake that serial number into the third party part we're using? Yep. So some companies in China, they're specialized in finding a way to reprogram those. And there are ways that cost money. You need micro soldering skills because usually you have to transfer chips. And it's just, we're talking about like a $5 battery and you need to spend a good 20, 25 minutes to solder chips. It's not wow. worth it. So is the client going to pay 150 bucks to change his battery just to not have a message or 35 and have a message? But it's too bad that we have to go to that place, that dark place where you have to hack. I don't even know if 
oh, that's legal, but we have to do it or the clients are going to be mad at us. On the justification that Apple gives is that it's about the security of the device and so on. Those arguments to me don't seem to add up, but it's hard to understand how a third-party battery presents a security risk yeah. to a device. The first issue we saw was on the iPhone 5S with the Touch ID. And they were saying, okay, Touch ID is there to unlock your phone, so we can't replace it because that would be a security issue. So maybe from far away, you could understand that. But then I thought, okay, let's just put a new fingerprint scanner and reset the fingerprint. It could be just a software thing. Okay, we're going to reset the fingerprint this way. You can't have, I don't know, like a weird fingerprint or whatever. And maybe you can check if it's original fingerprint and right. end of the story. So there are probably some really good people that could maybe do something about that. And of course, Apple applies the same standard even to Apple original parts that just don't happen to come from that device. They come from, an, they've been salvaged from another device. Exactly. They, it's the same exact problem. So the argument about not a high quality part doesn't really add up. Yeah. And you had some really interesting data. I don't know if that was data that you've gathered from your work or if you got it from somewhere else, just on the growth of complications in doing repairs from green, we can do it to yeah. yellow, this kind of subtle degradation of features, the warning messages or the, the battery monitoring thing no longer works. Okay. So you can't tell how much life is left in the battery. They do all these sort of things to degrade the performance when you go add a part yeah. and don't go through them. And then the red, it's an interesting graphic and it really shows that there's just been an acceleration or a growth in the number of things that you can't do. So what are some of the things that you see now that you have trouble doing that maybe you used to be able to do a few years ago? Yeah, just on that graph, all this data comes from stuff we tested in our lab or that comes from repair businesses. So when they see something weird, they call us like, hey, there's something weird. Could somebody do the same test somewhere else? And we have a pretty big community. Somebody's gonna double check and they're like, okay, now we can't replace cameras anymore on that version, on that model. So. The first thing was we started seeing was that Touch ID, but starting life in success, you need to reprogram so you, the NAND to change the Wi-Fi chip, which is you know, very specific. Replace the chip yeah, itself. and it was just, it's a chip, so you take it off, reball a new chip and put it back on and it works. So now you have to go through the trouble of taking off the NAND, which is what stores all the data from iOS or the personal data of the client, which is you're changing the Wi-Fi and you're going to tamper or actually heat up the place where his data is stored. And that's a risk. So we have to do a backup before, of course, and all that. But still, it's a lot. And that chip costs a lot also if we break it. So that was the second thing. And then it went up to the batteries. It would still work, but we would have those messages. The screens would have messages. Face ID came in. That just does not work. If you change it, like Touch ID, it deactivates Face ID. And then you have all those error messages that like go in and out depending on the version of iOS. Sometimes they will lock off some features like the true tone feature. You can't get that back unless you reprogram a screen. And also all that is lost. If the original screen is dead and the chip on it is dead, I can't reprogram it. Actually, some softwares came up with some pretty good algorithms where they try to generate the serial number. It's pretty accurate. It's not perfect. I'm like, wow, some guys had to work so hard on finding the algorithm to fake and or find the right serial number. Like, right. How wild is that? Just to change the screen. You're listening to the free version of the Fight to Repair podcast. To hear our full interview with Alexander, consider becoming a premium subscriber to Fight to Repair. 
An annual subscription is just $5 a month and gives you early access to our original reporting and exclusive access to our full-length podcasts and interviews. You also get access to premium events, including live interviews with leading figures in the Right to Repair movement and in-person events. To learn more, go to fighttorepair.news.